You're listening to Infertility Bites, a catharsis podcast. Infertility bites, but it bites a bit less when you're not alone. My name is Casey, and I am blessed to be joined, as always, by my co-captain in this journey, my wife, Sarah. Hello. On this series, we are talking about our experiences dealing with infertility. It's important to note, however, that we are not doctors or even experts. We're just people who understand how difficult it can be and how lonely it can feel. Each person's journey is unique, like a fingerprint, so it's best to leave the medicine to the professionals. But we hope to help people feel a little bit less alone in the process. Um, Last week, we talked a bit about the things our listeners didn't expect with infertility treatment. And then we also went over a bunch of the drugs that you might have to take. Um, and what they do, and, and some of our little, I don't know, tricks and advices for taking those uh, medicines and how overwhelming it can be. Um, this week, we kind of want to talk a little bit about the now what's of success. Um, you know, the, the goal for everyone is to eventually have a little baby. And, um, it's easy to a bebe. It's easy to um, not think too much about the now what when it is successful. But there are a lot of things that change when it finally is successful that you might not know and things that you will go through that normal people with normal pregnancies don't go through. And to kind of lead me uh, into this and what kind of prompted me to think about this for the topic for this week, I came across an article um, on a, I guess it's a blog, uh, babychick.com, baby-chick.com. They put up a article about um, putting infertility behind you, what it feels like to finally be pregnant. And I thought that this was uh, a very nice topic for us to kind of talk about because it really hit home in lots of ways. Um, Most people think of uh, pregnancy as this happy time. And and it is. I don't want to say it's not when you're finally there after years of infertility treatments. But it's not as cut and dry as the average pregnancy is with the happiness. And there's so much more that can go on. Uh, with it and so this article kind of talks a bit about it and I'm not going to read the article I'm not going to go over it point by point necessarily I will put a link to it in the show doobly-doos for this episode so that you guys can click on it and read it yourself and kind of see what's going on Um, but it is something to at least be prepared to uh, about because there's so many different things that go on with an infertility pregnancy that don't go on with a regular pregnancy. Number one, you find out about it a lot earlier than most people do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With their pregnancies. Many people don't find out they're pregnant until six to eight weeks into a pregnancy. And even then, it's the, the whole, oh, we'll take a test and we'll see and, you know, all that. Um, but with infertility treatments, you've got the dreaded two-week wait where the procedure takes place, whether you're doing IUI or whether you're doing IVF or, or a, a frozen embryo transfer or whatever, right? You've got the procedure and then a two-week wait and then you do a test. 
and if it comes back positive, you do another test in a day or two. Because yeah, they're easy to get a false mm-hmm. positive. Because you're doing it way earlier than most times, right? And if it comes back positive again, then they'll usually refer you into uh, to the doctor to actually do a blood test, pregnancy test, to get the 100% confirmation that you're pregnant. Um, there are a lot of things that can happen in that two weeks. It's one of those nerve-wracking two weeks you will have in your entire life. Yeah. Um, well, I even know, like, for me, it was like, I didn't want to do anything... Like, I just wanted to stay still. Like, because I know, like, for when they uh, implanted the egg, I had to lay lay down. And, of course, we, like we were always said, we we're three hours away. So, like, the whole way driving home, I had the receipt reclined back. And then even that next day, I'm like, I'm just going to lay. I'm not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. And, and even then, it was like everything I did was just, I was really gentle with my body. Because it was like, I didn't want anything. I wanted... Yeah, it was just weird, but that's how I my brain was working. And and that was us being probably overprotective. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, most doctors um, will give you a, a plan, you know, that says, Hey, here's what here's what you're allowed to do, here's what you're not. And a lot of them will go along the lines of don't do anything your body isn't used to doing. So if you're already a jogger, they'll say you can continue to jog. Your body's used to it, but don't take up jogging and don't decide to start uh, training for a 5K or a 10K. Don't you start or, doing CrossFit. You know, or CrossFit, yeah. Uh, but but at the same point, we just spent yeah. $25,000 plus for this dice roll opportunity to get pregnant after six plus years of trying in yeah. every other way we weren't about to risk it well that I mean that's what i mean that's why it was like um but that's the deal you're still found out way earlier than most people month earlier than most people do so you find out you're pregnant and you you now know yes it was successful but then you run into this do, you, do we tell anyone who, who do we tell? Which is a lot trickier when it's when it's infertility treatment. Because with infertility treatment, a lot of people around you are going to already know that you're going through treatment. And they're going to know that you went in for a procedure. So you'll have people, you'll have people the next day yeah. ask. Because... Since no one else, no one who hasn't been through this knows what it's like, they don't realize that you've still got to wait to two weeks before you find out. There's there's not a guarantee. They don't... The doctor doesn't go in and actually physically place the egg in your uterine lining, you know, and glue it in place to, to make sure it stays there, right? As advanced as these procedures are, there's still a lot of chances of failure in those things. And so you've got this two-week wait, but anyone who knows that you're going through this will come up and be like, well, well, and you're like, I, two weeks, two weeks. Yeah. And even then, you find out in two weeks, you've got this 
this thing of, of who do you tell? Who do you share the news with? Or do you, do you put it off? Or do you try to hide it? Or do you do this? And it's a struggle. Um, because there's still a lot that can fail. Even if it's a successful implant. You know, after after two weeks, after three weeks, it still could fail. After four weeks, I mean, you know, yeah, people have miscarriages a lot. In fact, a lot of people who deal with infertility, one of their symptoms is miscarriages. That they're able to somehow or another get pregnant, but not able to keep the pregnancy. And you have to figure out what's causing that. Yeah. Uh, and try to try to go through so you're in this weird limbo of I'm successful and I'm happy but I'm also it's like it's like Schrodinger's pregnancy you're both pregnant and not pregnant at the same time because you you can't be 100% confident in it and that's kind of one of the things that uh, this talks about you know some bullet points in this article it says allow yourself to feel and process each emotion right because you will go through a lot of emotions you may be overjoyed and terrified at the same time you're scared that something bad might happen but you're also excited because this dream that you've had for years often is finally maybe coming true yeah and so you've you've got these these conflicting emotions and you can be excited and you can be terrified and you can be happy and you can be sad you know and you're going to be going through a ton of emotions that most people with a normal pregnancy don't necessarily have yeah um i can remember when leaving um Grand Island where I had to get my second blood work done test I remember I stayed in Grand Island for a little while after the blood test I honestly didn't expect them to call me until like the next day but as I'm driving back for, I for clarification Grand Island's about 45 minutes away from where Carney, we lived at the time where we used to live. So. and so I'm driving back and I see they're calling me and I pull over and luckily I was in it right by a small town that I was passing. And when they called and they told me that it was positive, I mean, I just, I started crying immediately. And then I started screaming with happiness because I was so excited and I couldn't wait to come and see Casey. So I just remember, I remember that moment. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to have all these emotions and, and, Sarah right now is overcome with emotions for memory because these don't go away. Um, but like I said, you, you'll also be scared because as excited as she was that it was pregnant, we knew that this was still just one step in in the process. And there was a lot of things that would need to continue to go right. These dominoes all have to fall in the correct order and continue to fall for this to be successful. And so you've got all of these conflicting emotions going through you. And as the husband, I have I have my own set of emotions, but they're nothing compared to the emotions that Sarah was going through because it's all happening in her. And and so there's this this whole internal struggles going on there that I don't have to deal with, right? Um 
another point that they talk on here is it may take you some time to feel emotionally connected to the pregnancy. Um, partially because it's been such an abstract thought in your brain for so long. Planning and hoping and praying to get pregnant and, and doing all of this stuff. And now it's finally here. So much of your life has evolved around the path to this that for it to finally be there, it can be a, a little bit hard for your brain to, to connect to it. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, you can have these emotional walls that you've put up, especially if you've had to deal with multiple miscarriages. Um, you put up these emotional barriers to stop you from having to, to feel the pain as much that now you've got to break down those same barriers so that you can be excited about your pregnancy. Um, but understand that that's normal for people going through this to possibly have to do this. And you're not, there's not anything wrong with you if you're not immediately no. overjoyed. Um, there's nothing wrong with you if you're um, feeling feeling nervous or or in almost denial because you've had so much disappointment and and problems previous to this that you you have to kind of keep these walls up a bit. Yeah, it, I, for me it was like a defense mechanism. It's like I didn't want to just you know. That's just kind of how, yeah, I had to kind of think of it because so many nights I'd gone to sleep crying that I just, even though we'd got this great, exciting news and first time, you know, I ever knew that I was pregnant, I was just excited, but at the same time, I was just so nervous, so. Mm -hmm. um, we also in the article talk about kind of what we mentioned earlier how you'll struggle with this about how to tell people or whether to tell people and and you may feel feel ready to tell people right off the bat because it's been this long years long journey and in our case it was a fairly public towards the end because yeah. we talked before about our gofundme that we set up and and going public with it and becoming advocates for for infertility and becoming something that we were known uh, amongst our circles for um but uh, other people aren't so public with their infertility battles in fact we weren't for six years until we finally went public with it so you know if, if you're one of those people who have suffered with this silently you're gonna be struggling with this whole decision of when do i tell people how you're so excited that you want to tell the world, but you're also so nervous that maybe you want to keep it quiet or, or, you know, maybe it's just so special to you. You only want certain people to, to know about it yet. And, and, and that's and definitely your decision. So in I the mean, grand it's... scheme of things, there's no bad, no, uh -uh. bad answer to this. You make the decision that you feel is right for you in your situation. You know, depending on how long you've been waiting and trying to get pregnant, you may want to just shout it from the rooftops. Yeah. Um, but you also might just want to tell just a handful of people, just your closest friends or family about it. Technically, uh, at work, I, we had already gotten the 
the second call the confirmation and I didn't really tell people that you know after the second procedure you you have to wait two weeks I didn't really I kind of kept that to myself so I actually knew that we'd gotten the confirmation that we were but I just kept playing it off to people I'm like oh no you have to wait a little bit longer you have to wait and I waited I think until we got our first ultrasound and then by that I mean I would have probably not told anyone but like Casey said since we were very public about everything and you know the questions just kept coming so I eventually knew I had to start saying something so that's what I did because I you know even though it was a public thing but no one really knew much about it so I could kind of get away with fibbing a little bit and saying oh we don't know yet and so it wasn't until I actually had the ultrasound that I actually told my coworkers, mm -hmm. some of them, I should say. And, you know, it plays into everything is, is understanding that your journey with the pregnancy is going to be different than a standard pregnancy. You're going to have far more doctor visits than a standard pregnancy has because you're considered a high-risk pregnancy just because it took so much for it to get there that they don't want to risk anything. So you will have more ultrasounds. You will have more doctor's appointments. You'll have more blood work done. You'll have more everything. And frankly, by this point, you probably have had more blood work done <laughs> than you were comfortable with up until then, right? But it's going to be something where other people that you know might think you're weird because you're doing all of these doctor's appointments and they're like, wait, I didn't have to do these doctor's appointments. Even people at the doctor's office might think things are a little weird. And to give the example, because we did the procedure here in Omaha, but we lived at the time in Kearney, again, we mentioned that's three-hour drive from Kearney to Omaha. Um, for most of the doctor's appointments, we weren't going to be able to come all the way to Omaha just to do an ultrasound and drive back to Carmen, right? So we were doing the ultrasounds for most of them. Like, for the first couple ones, we, did go to we came to Omaha because they wanted to make sure on everything. But after a couple of them, they handed us off to uh, the OBGYNs in Kearney. Um... The ones that we had previously, uh, the doctors that we previously dealt with, we're dealing now with um, a higher level there, not just the standard OBGYNs, but um, in fact, the person we were dealing with was the one who eventually delivered our baby. She was awesome. Yes. Um, but... <laughs> Sad to throw that out there. But at that clinic... They're not as familiar with people who have gone through infertility. No, they really weren't. So, and I think we even mentioned this on a previous episode, they thought it was weird that I wanted to show up at every ultrasound. Because on a normal pregnancy, for most families, you know, yeah. the wife goes in for the ultrasound and, okay, great, here's the picture. And then, and it's only on the big ones, like the gender reveal ultrasound. Sometimes the husband will be like, hey, come along. Um, but even then, with, the, with all of the um, gender reveal parties, which 
frankly, I think are ludicrous, but that's beside the point. Um, that's up to you. If you want to do it, you're no judgment here. Um, Stay away from trees, please. Yes. Uh, d- don't do it with explosives out in the, the woods. Yeah. We've got enough fires. Um, but but most of the time, the husbands kind of take a back seat on, on the ultrasounds most of the time. And so they were really, like, taken back by the fact that I wanted to be there at every one. Yeah. And we mentioned, I think, last week yeah, that, that I only missed one. You only missed one, and that was you had an appointment, and I remember... Mm-hmm. And the lady, the doctor was like, you know, he doesn't have to. And I'm like, I know he doesn't have to. He wants to. Mm-hmm. I want him to be there. I mean, no offense, Casey was, I mean, okay. One thing about me is uh, I'm a, when giving blood, they have a hard time finding veins. And no offense, Casey would be kind of like a comic relief for me. I mean, that's not the only reason why I'm glad you were there. But it was a definite plus because, I mean... It would take sometimes four or five times before they'd get a vein. And so, I mean, I'm just saying, yeah, it was, I was glad he could make it to mm-hmm. almost all of them. So, and so, you know, I mean, understand that your pregnancy is going to be different than the standard pregnancy and don't hold it up against those. Yours is different. It's special. And, and, live in it and love it um and and make the choices that you want to make and do what do what you need to do for you um i mentioned gender reveal parties maybe part of my vitriol for gender reveal parties is because i think it especially if you've gone through infertility treatments that one of the single best experiences from this whole thing was based on the fact that Sarah and I decided as a couple we talked oh, yeah, about yeah no it, i we both um, it was we agreed on that quickly yeah that we did not want to find out the gender until birth that we wanted to have every experience that we could of pregnancy and birth and that one of those experiences was finding out together at birth whether it was a boy or a girl and um it's the best decision i ever made i i to this day i remember very distinctly uh we're in the delivery room my wife is being an absolute rock star um and uh, the baby comes out and the doctor just turns it and holds it up over her head and says, I can't see you. Is it a boy or a girl? And I look over. <laughs> I'm the only one who can see. I look over. And I go, It's a girl. I and, wish I would have had that recorded. And I was now a mess for the next hour. Um... I was just overcome with so many emotions at that moment. And I wouldn't have had that experience if we would have had even just the ultrasound saying, oh, look there, it's a girl. I would have had some of those emotions then, yeah. um, but it wouldn't have been the same thing. I, I you know, I had, I had a whole future flashing b- before my eyes when I found out 
that our baby was born and she was a girl. And, uh, and it's one of the best things I've ever done. And I will cherish that memory. Um, now that might not, not be what you want to do. And that's kind of the point of this is you're going to make the decisions that are best for you in your situation. Yeah. And don't I, let your friends and family talk you into something different. So I, I extol the virtues of not finding out in advance because I think, um, for us, it was the absolute best choice that we could do. And if we ever go through it again, we will do it again the same. Oh, yeah. However, it did mean that we had about six months of every person we know asking us, do you know if it's a boy or a girl? And every, I think people thought we were, well, at least for me, it worked. They didn't believe me when I said we weren't finding out. And they're like, oh, no, you know, you know, because everyone finds out now. And I'm like, no. I said, because Casey and I both, of course, I mean, generational wise, our parents couldn't really, I don't think they have the advanced. I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. But neither of our, getting beside the point, neither of our parents, of course, knew what they were having all three times. And I guess I always thought that was cool. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, you know, you know, boy or girl, great. You know, it's that cliche, I just want a happy, healthy baby, you know. But that's, I mean, ultimately, that is the truth. It's, you know, that's what you want. And But yeah, people at work, I think they really did, they just were like, no, you know. And I'm like, no, seriously, we, we don't know. And I had someone, it came to baby shower. It was all like, we're going to do it after the baby's born so we know what to buy. <laughs> I'm like, whatever, mm -hmm. that's, that's fine. Because it's your decision. Getting back to it, it's what you want to do, and don't let anyone talk you out of it. So, so that's kind of, and like I said, this article goes into so much more. It talks about um, how every journey is different. It talks about uh, you know all of the things with the, like the baby registry and and stuff like this that might feel really surreal. Um, so, like I said, I'll have the link to this article in the show doobly doos. But, uh, but I just wanted to, to kind of go over some of that because it, it really does. It can feel really surreal when all of this finally happens. Um, and, and you can feel like you're not doing it right because it's so much different than what everyone else goes through. And your own emotions are going to be so much different than what everyone else goes through. Yeah. Right. The average person finds out they're pregnant after six to eight weeks. You find out after two. The average person may have been expecting a baby, may not have been expecting, may have been trying or maybe it's an accident. They're going to have an emotion that comes out of that. You are going to have a spectrum of emotions. Uh, and maybe all at the same time. You might find yourself happy and sad at the same time um, and and understand that's normal. Yeah. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about with that is that, you know, there's nothing normal about infertility treatment. And so there is nothing abnormal about being pregnant after infertility treatments. 
because it all can happen. So, yeah. Um, so on that note, I would like to put it out to, to everyone else, um, everyone listening here, drop us a line on Facebook, facebook.com slash infertility bites. Uh, we're at infertility pod on Twitter or infertility bites podcast at gmail.com. Send us a note about if you've been successful, how your experience through that whole pregnancy, once you finally found out you were pregnant, how it it was for that. Because uh, we'd love to kind of hear what other people have gone through as well. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a surreal experience from day one of infertility treatment, and the pregnancy part is every bit as surreal. And you know, oh yeah. I mean, Sarah mentioned multiple times before about how. Uh, I was probably ready to tell the world about it before she was. Yeah. Because again, you've got this constant thing in the back of your brain that it's gonna it's gonna all disappear. And well, just, you've been and, wanting it for so long and you have to see all the people around you have one or not two, but maybe three kids around you and and it's just been something out of your grasp. And mm-hmm. You know, most things, oh, I want blonde hair. Well, you can go out and buy some hair color and become a blonde. But you can't just be like, I want a baby. I mean, you know, it, that's just not how it works. And so it's just one of those things. It is, yes, I was definitely much more hesitant mm-hmm. too. But So we're going to move on. We've got um, a story to tell. Um uh, a submitted story I always say without submitted stories uh, this show really wouldn't exist in its form and this is actually we're coming to the end of our current crop of submitted stories so if you're enjoying this podcast and you have a story to tell there's going to be a link in on our Facebook page, on our Twitter page you can email at us I'll send you the link um, I really, really highly appreciate anyone yes. who sends us the link. We will keep you anonymous if you'd like. We'll tell your name if you'd like. If you have a GoFundMe, we'll get it out there and hopefully get you a little bit more help on that. But um, it's the thing that makes this podcast what it is, is telling these stories. And so if you're willing to, whether you've been successful yet or not, a lot of these stories I've been telling so far have been successes. But again, I mentioned before, your infertility story started the day you first tried to have a kid and couldn't. And there likely was years before you started any sort of treatment. And if you're not successful yet, we can uh, send as much baby dust your way to hopefully make it successful in the future. So, um, so hit us up if you would like to, to share your story. Um, but we'll talk about this story. We've got a, uh, lovely, successful story. Uh, Aaron Ballman from Missouri sent us this. Um, so thank you, Aaron, for uh, submitting your story. Uh, we really appreciate it. They were trying for over three years. Uh, to get pregnant. Uh, 
They said, uh, my husband and I got married at 31 and started trying for family as soon as we got married. After a few months, we decided to try IUI. We did eight rounds of IUI, wow. costing about $6,000. We then saw specialists and did some testing, and I was told I was 31 with the eggs of a woman in her 40s. I had premature ovarian failure, meaning low egg count. So then we jumped into in vitro. They have great insurance, but it did not cover anything with infertility. They did two rounds and spent thousands. No success. Maxed out on our second mortgage uh, that they took out against their home. They then heard, and I think we mentioned this before, on an infertility group that Starbucks offers in vitro coverage. If you're a part-time employee, um, I think you have to do a minimum of 20 hours a week. So, uh... She decided to get a job there on top of her job at the dental office. They were able to do two more rounds of in vitro because of Starbucks. And because of Starbucks, they finally had their miracle baby on their Aww. last try. So they're forever grateful to Starbucks for their little angel. Um, and we've mentioned it before. We, we didn't know about Starbucks when we went through ours. And quite frankly, um, if we ever decide we were ready to try again um i'm probably gonna put on an apron and, and apply all the starbucks around us here to to do something um uh, which is funny because i don't drink coffee <laughs> i do <laughs> well, i drink frappes some people don't consider that coffee i don't know but uh, I always ask people um, if there was anything that made them feel alone or overwhelmed. And for them, it was the in vitro medication costs that are so overwhelming. Um, and and yes. I, think, I think we can agree on that. Um, you're not prepared for how expensive the medication, the drugs, that's what we talked about last week, how expensive they can be. And especially if you have to do multiple rounds multiple rounds of it just keep adding up because even though a certain amount of the drugs are about developing follicle follicles and and on stimulating ovulation in those respects so that you can then go and harvest even if you successfully have harvested enough eggs uh and fertilized them uh in the lab and you've got those and you're going in to do a uh, frozen embryo transfer you still have to take a bunch of drugs to prepare your body for the transfer and then a bunch of drugs after the transfer one way or another to try to help make sure that the um, transfer is successful so the cost of the medicine alone can be surprisingly large and again, we mentioned how it's not like you can return it if you yeah. have extra. Um, Don't need this. You know, there, there's there's a certain amount of expense, but at the same point, you don't ever want to run out because if you run out and you miss, you could mess up the whole cycle and have to start from the beginning. So um, I always ask who's the most supportive of you. And it seems to be the answer on all of these is almost always husband although on one of the last ones it was her parents um so um 
and I kind of expected most people to uh, say husband, but there are some people whose parents would be very involved. And so she says, I always say you have to believe your marriage is strong enough to go through all of this. And you have to always be 100% on the same page. And I I agree with that. Uh, It comes down to you have to focus on this the goal and if both of you don't want a baby as much as the other then you're going to struggle with things in the end this is about a goal that you're both trying to attain yeah and that's why you know i mentioned on a previous one that men can often do a little pushback against getting the testing done because us, our macho brains say, well, it's got to be something on the woman's side, right? It's got to be something on the woman's side. And like I said before, 30% of infertility is exclusively on the woman. 30% is exclusively on the man. And the other, and 30% is a combination of both. And that means that 60% of the time, the man is at least partially the responsible for the problem and 60% of the time the woman is at least partially responsible for the problem but so that really simply means get tested guys it's super easy it is the it's it's awkward but not uncomfortable and it takes so little time and your wives will be so much happier that you're helping figure out what's causing the problem um, at the time that she submitted this, it was uh, just a, about a week ago she submitted it. They said uh, their little girl was six months old. Uh, they were told that they had uh, less than 5% chance of having their own baby without in vitro. Wow. So uh, that's where it was really, really good that they were able to go through this. And uh, so I'll, I'll give a big thumbs up to Starbucks for helping people that way. Like I say, I don't drink coffee. I hear Actually, left and right. Actually, that's probably the perfect reason for you to work there. Mm-hmm. Because then you'll actually bring home a paycheck. Like, if I worked there, I mean, <laughs> there wouldn't be much of a paycheck coming home. Yes. But I hear people talk bad about Starbucks as, from a coffee standpoint. Oh, Starbucks is bad coffee or whatever. I don't know. I don't care. Right? If they're helping people fulfill their dreams, yes. they get a thumbs up from that's me. That's awesome. Um asked what advice do you have for other people just starting treatment and she says if you feel it in your gut that it's going to happen keep going and never give up no matter how hard it is she says she lives by this quote uh the pain that you're feeling can't compare to the joy that is coming so keep keep the faith Uh, that's a good quote but but so yes thank you again to Aaron. Yes, thank you, Aaron. Um, we love telling your story, um, and we're so excited for your little six-month-old. Uh, six months is a great little age for little girls. Chubby legs and chubby cheeks. You got those little chubby legs, and, and they're just starting to do a lot of the things, like standing <laughs> up or rolling around, rolling around scooching. and scooching. Um, <laughs> and... and it doesn't matter what age we're talking about. Any time in that per- first year, every little day 
is them learning to do something new and you'll come up with something new um, that they never did before even if it's just a, a weird eye roll or, or something with their tongue it's so much fun um, we, we of course videotaped everything with our little girl everything um, and so now we get notifications on our phones and from Facebook reminding us hey this is what happened two years ago this is what happened to you. And so a uh, couple weeks ago, uh, we got a reminder that two years ago, when our daughter would have been a little bit more than, she would have been about seven months old, um, that we we first gave her banana <laughs> yes. food. Uh, it was puree banana, you know, from a thing. And just watching the videos of her eating banana for the first time. She didn't look like she liked it, but she kept coming back for yeah, more. Yeah, she was like, whoa, 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 more? So, um, <laughs> it's the best thing. So, congratulations, Aaron and Mr. Ballman. You didn't include your husband's <laughs> name. So, um, congratulations on both of you guys uh, for, for your little bundle of joy. We're so happy for you. Yeah. Um, Again, if you are wanting to submit your story, just hit us up and we'll send you the link. Um, really easy to fill out. You can be as detailed as you want. Um, but we would love to tell some more stories on this. Uh, this show really only works when you submit your stories. If you are enjoying this show, a review on whatever platform you listen to it would be great. Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify. Most of them have some way to leave a star rating or a review. They really help other people find this show if, if it's been reviewed. And if you're comfortable with sharing this on your social media, every podcast thing has a share button on it. You can just share it and post, hey, I'm really enjoying this show, Infertility Bites. Here's the latest episode. Um, that's the best way to support us and get this out to more people because we really do we've got some great feedback on this so far a lot of people really enjoy this uh the more people who can listen to this the more people we can help through this and that's really what our mission is is to help other people through what is a very lonely time when you're going through it by yourself but on that note, we're going to wrap things up for this week. Um, may your dreams of tiny, tiny feet be answered soon. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, we're going to let our own little scientific miracle send us off with hugs and kisses. Thanks for listening. Bye. I love you. Hello. Hello. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Mwah.